Race Remix. Mix. This is Race Remix, a podcast that pushes forward enriching and challenging conversations about the arts and racial justice. We talk with artists, poets, writers, directors, dancers, designers, performers, and creative practitioners from the Arizona community and beyond. As you listen, be inspired to advocate and activate in your community. Together, we can create a more just, joyful, and sustainable world. Welcome to Race Remix. Okay, welcome to Race Remix. I'm your host, Gloria Wilson. Co-hosting this episode is Amy Cray, and visiting with us today in the studio is Dr. Reed Gomez. Welcome to the show, Reed. It's great to have you with us. Thank you for inviting me. It's an honor and a pleasure. Dr. Reed Gomez is a brilliant scholar and human who is currently assistant professor in gender and women's studies at the University of Arizona. Reed has put a wealth of time and research in writing, teaching, and speaking widely about quantum entanglements, slavery, colonization, Black, Indian, and storytelling translation. Her latest book project, The Web of Differing Versions, Where Africa Ends and America Begins. This monograph challenges the limits created by the grammar of colonialism. Her work is in conversation with Silco Studies, Indigenous Studies, and Critical Black Studies. Her central intervention is an understanding of language and land as archive based in Indigenous epistemologies. I've been looking forward to talking about this book with you, so it's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Very gracious introduction. So to start off, can you tell us a bit about yourself and the work that you do? Hmm. I always say my superpower is that I was raised by my grandparents and uh, that it really did take a village to raise this child. So I was passed around a lot and uh, with all the females in my family line. But my home base is my grandparents. And then um, when my grandmother died when I was nine, I was raised fully by my mom at that time. But I feel like that's my superpower is I know my people. Nobody ever took me from my home. And um, it's super prescient right now with the Indian Child Welfare Act being under attack. But how important it is to know where you come from and to have all those stories. And even though my grandparents are like the War of the Roses and they had so many different worlds that I navigated, I just went from one world to the other. Like upstairs, this is how it was. These were the rules. Downstairs, this is how it was. These were the rules. Inside the house, this is how it was. These were the rules. Outside the house. When you're at Auntie Cora's, it's like this. When you're at Auntie Ruby's, it's like this. And that I feel like I do feel like that's my superpower. And the other thing that I always say is that I will never deny my people, which is challenging for some people because I have a lot of people and sometimes they want you to be one person or come from one person. And I don't because I was raised like how I was raised and and I fully inhabited each world as opposed to try to have one world that I've 
filtered all of the worlds through. So I'm from San Francisco, and uh, that's probably a defining characteristic of mine. I say um, I live in language, but my life is music. Is my other way of talking about myself. And um, like I said, those are my people. I am Dene, I am Congo, and I am Mexican. And I'm not half of anything. I'm fully everything. So that's a brief introduction of myself. The streets are my playground. And the radio is probably my... I love the radio. Contrary to podcasts. I love having to be there at the time and missing it if I miss it because then I got to talk to people and ask them about what I miss. Amazing. I was fascinated by reading your bio on the University of Arizona website. Tell us more about quantum entanglements. You know, it's um, one thing I love about that is... I, I came to Karen Barrett's work partially because this is an interesting move. And I think when, when you said you want to hear about my book and what I'm doing now, I really needed a way to say what I was saying. Because every time I said what I was saying, folks would say it didn't have any structure or it was too convoluted. And I like that. I love convolutes, like the Walter Benjamin idea of the convolutes. And um, I needed an externally validated, officialius maximius um, person that I could say, look, I, some, something I could point to with my finger, since I'm really into pointing to things with my finger, with the P-Funk. Um, and so when I found Karen, somebody pointed me to Karen Barrett's work. And it's sort of it's the blending that I understood in life. It's the the way, like I, I used to write this blog called My Grandpa Knew That. It's like my grandpa knew that. But by Karen Barrett writing it and publishing it, it gave me something to to show people. And I could handle the physics because people get afraid of the physics, but I could handle it and because it's science. It makes people go ooh and ah. And I work in language, which makes people say, oh, you're an Indian, you tell stories. And so... The thing that I love continually about Karen's work is this idea of um, when you cut things apart, you actually cut them together. And so this, for me, which, because I'm working in Black Indian especially, and people like to think of Black Indian in terms of lineal descendancy, or people like to think of Black Indian in terms of who's your mother, who's your father, and I'm thinking Black Indian in a quantum way, which has that when you cut us apart, you cut us together, and we can't be thought without each other. And so I love that when you cut things apart, you cut them together. The other thing that I love about the quantum is the idea that when the when a quantum leap is made, it's like poof, now it's gone. It was there, and now it's somewhere else. And the linearity of it is gone, and the temporality of it is gone. And that is all makes sense to me with how I think, how I how I know. And I want to say how I know, like, how I was raised up, that that was the world I was raised up. Things were, and they were, dis, they appeared, they disappeared. Things were cut together and cut in apart. So that's why I love that quantum, like, legibility. <laughs> it gave me legible language. 
you know, I just published a piece about writing and I call it, I'm calling it writing translation because I don't think this is all these things. What Karen's work does or what Barrett's work does is allows you to move away from ontology. And I'm like way away from ontology. And so it allows you to say writing and translation are not ontologically different, just like black and Indian are not ontologically different, just like, you know, um, uh, slavery and colonization are not ontologically different. And we tend to racialize those or we're comfortable in otherizing everything, including those those things. So with that, even with writing and translation, that they you, we like to cut them apart, but we, uh, they, we're cutting them together. I like that idea a lot. And a lot of the work about the queerness of physics and particles, and it, it is that inability to be fixed, which kind of think, to me, Dr. Bay's work on transing being a verb like all the verbiness i'm about i'm all about language and grammar so i'm like things are verbs we're verbies narissa phillips said what if it's all about verbing and i'm like yes it is all about verbing and so barrett's work is is like that and um so so can i ask a follow-up question (laughs) um i'm imagining um there might be folks who've not heard the word ontology before can you explain how you're using that? Yeah, you know, this. that's a good question. See, that's a good restatement. Can you explain how you're using that? Because I, this is what I always say, like, we use words the way we want to. Like, Bell Hooks has that. I use the language that you've given me and are like, Chinua Cheb is like, I'm going to make it do what I, I'm a writer. I'm going to make it do what I want it to do. And so because I'm not into anybody owning any language and I'm not into language, I'm into languaging, like even that, that I have a wealth of languages at my disposal and I just grab what I want and I use it and I make it do what I want. So how, that's my long ass, sorry, excuse me. <laughs> that's my long answer for um, why, what I mean by that. With ontology, I think this to me, and, and Michelle Wright's work on physics of blackness also helped me with, some of the language and get to where I could, I think for me, running, write, writing is running naked in the fields of joy. And so every time somebody corrects my pronunciation or corrects my English or corrects my grammar, I am not running naked in the fields of joy. And I really like to run naked in the fields of joy. I do not like to have clothes on and I do not like to be not joyful. So you like, don't disturb this groove. You are really disturbing this groove. So with... um Barrett's work gave me that, and then Michelle writes, I'm answering your ontology question. This is how I go. <laughs> and uh, is what? What is it? And for those folks that live life the way that I, I'm, I'm a what is it, that's a really ugly thing to say, but I am a what is it, you know, with the way that I, my, what is visible, right? And we're obsessed with the ocularity. We're obsessed with what we can see. And I am not obsessed with what we can see because I grew up with the unseen um, and respect for it and the ancestors and, and the gods and Orisha. And so the ontology is the what. It's the being. So like in Spanish, it's the ser. It's what you are. And it's not, so it's the what is it. And so Michelle Wright's work is like moving away from the what is blackness to the where and when is blackness. And that allows you to be either in the transing world of Bay, and I think I'm in that transing world um, with my translation, transmotion, translanguaging. I'm all about the prefixual trans. And that is more like estar in Spanish. It's like where you happen to be at the given moment, what you're doing, like, it's not your essence, because there is no essence, right? So that's, that's what I, how I use ontology, from the what to the, 
to the verbiness. So from moving from a noun to a verb. That's my shorthand. <laughs> Sorry. So, Reed, you, you, your work is deeply embedded in um, language, as you've been talking about, and grammar. Uh, and Racial Justice Studio has a very particular set of grammars. Anti-racism uh, is one of those words. Um, and so I'm wondering how your work is placed in conversation with that. Particularly, you talk about Black and Native, you know, in relation to quantum entanglements, you know, that they're not uh, necessarily separate from one another. And so how might you place your work in conversation with the notions and the language of anti-racism? Yeah, I think that's a good question because let me answer it in terms of dance. And dance... And I believe that this is also in life. When you're doing partner dance, you need to know how to move towards somebody. You also need to know how to move away from somebody. And then you also need to know how to move against somebody or with somebody so that your bodies are moving together. But there is an against part of it, whether you're hip to hip, whether you're shoulder to shoulder, whether you're front to back, whatever you are against. So that's the, there's, it's not a tension there, it's a connection. And so I think of it that way in terms of moving towards a way and against of everything in life. For me, I think of glissants, um, relations of products, and like my, I have an extreme uneasiness with oppositional frameworks. So like I love the prefix or trans, I don't tend to love the anti. I would say foundational to my whole life and my work is I don't make others and I don't make myself an other to people. So I don't want to engage in processes where I am viewing myself as an other or viewing an other from me. I think this is Baldwin's, you know, there's nothing in you that is not in me. And so I am so deeply committed to that and staying in, in Glissant's poetics of relation of how are we related, which for me goes to Black Indian, we are relatives. And however that looks like, even if it's just in the construction of us is always together anyway, or like for people that are, we are relatives. In some ways we are related. So that's my relationship with the anti. It's, And I like to say the dance prefatory marks so that it doesn't, I'm not anti-anti-racism, right? That's just not the way that I enter. And I think... I just was, um, one of my teachers is Gladys Bobi Cespedes, who is an amazing um, priest of Obatala, salsera, singer, uh, apon, and uh, I take classes with her, and I'm blessed to have been one of her children in the tradition, though I'm not officially a child. But um, she was just talking about, because sometimes people want to know the, you know, that they want to know the, the way. The answer. If we have this, why do we do this? And she really talked about everybody brings a part of something when they come. This is like my web of differing versions. This is from the title of my book, is that we're not seeking a story and we're not seeking contradiction. We're not seeking, let's not compare our stories. Let's have the web of differing versions. And so anti is one of the versions of the story. It's not the version I tell. So I bring you what I tell and everybody brings what they tell. And as long as we allow the differing versions and to not put them in competition or also in comparison with each other, I think everybody has brought something because I don't know what 
is needed. And you might have brought something that's needed, right? So who am I to say, don't bring that? We don't need it. I don't know what we need. I know what I need to bring, and that's what I'm doing. So that's my relationship with that. Um, It's challenging because people like to know the answer so they can do that. (laughs) And uh, I don't give answers, which I think is frustrating to people. I want to ask about your story, but also your storytelling, right? When did your relationship to storytelling and translation begin? I do think it's it's being raised by everybody, <laughs> basically, and running the streets and also being little and not. My family is very... I say I run the streets, but I also, my family's super insular. And so, but we were big, right? We weren't like what an American traditional family, it wasn't the house. Like I had many houses growing up. So for me, I learned how to immerse myself, like to, to this, Samuel Delaney calls it submit to the story structure. <laughs> I learned how to submit to the story structure quick style because I was there. You know, my, my Auntie Do's famous line, my Auntie Dora Ivaye, her famous line is, get your rags and let's go. One time when she came to get me. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm not going to live here anymore, but it lives somewhere else. And so that I immersed. And so that practice, I think, is very much understand now as a grown person that that's what you do. You immerse, you submit to the story structure. So I'm not trying to be in charge at all, ever. And uh, some people may consider that a docility, but I think that's a great strength. And um, the other thing is, like, I had to be, I, could, I don't come from readers. Um, I learned myself how to read because Disney had record books, and I'm really good with the ear hole. I think growing up with an orally based, my grandma could read, and at night she would, uh, we would do this thing with holy cards, and she would read me from the Bible, but she did not teach me how to read. So I learned myself how to read. So I had that relationship with my mom would be like, read this and tell me what it says. So I had that practice of having to give information that I was able to get to my community. When the door knocked, they say, go answer the door. And I would tell all kinds of things. Nobody here speaks English. (laughs) No one's home. I just came up with all kinds of stuff. And I did the interfacing for, for them. You go in and get directions. I mean, I call it my camouflage because I have my camouflage. I could have access to a lot of places that folks that I, my family didn't. So I also was the one that like, what happened? (laughs) Where was you at? What happened? So I'm constantly narrating everything. And they wanted to know everything. And I also think later now, like when I, when students struggle and when I'm not great on genres of concision, (laughs) when folks struggle with my inability to deal with genres of concision to like say it quick and, and get to the point and all of that, it's that. I cannot tell you what anything means because your job is to make meaning of it. What I can tell you is every detail. I can make the story speak. And then I have to make know what story is needed to speak to this moment. I get, I got it. I get the story. I tell you the story. That's my power is connecting. What story speaks to this moment? What story do you need? I tell the story in all the details. Now you're the one that's got to make meaning of it. And so I need to keep all the details because what is meaningful to you may not be meaningful to the person that needs the story the next time. So I was constantly doing that. So I have facility with it. And that's how I live through the world. That's how I read everything like it's a poem. My first semester in graduate school, someone told me, you cannot read everything like it's a poem. And I do. 
I still do. I hope that's an answer for you. Mm, it's a beautiful answer. Tell me more about your creative focus and writing practice, both on and in Black English and Navlish. Navlish is named. It's like it's like Black English. Or I know you're supposed to. Everybody has their thing. What they say. I'm come from June Jordan's world, so I'm sticking with Black English. Navlish is also a coin term from the linguist. There's a an amazing and lovely.、Um, Linguist, social linguist Anthony Webster, who does work on Navajo and grammars of intimacy in Navajo, where something Navajo speakers are even like, I am not it by any means fluent. I have a good analytical capacity with the language, like I understand it analytically, I understand the structures, but my fluency is very poor. And、uh, when Navajo speakers hear me speak, they go, "The way you talk, he 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 he," because I'm like. I talk like I'm from San Francisco, and I talk like Black English is probably my my primary language, not Navlish. But that's an actual term, and so I use some of those. I try to use. I'm trying to communicate with y'all, <laughs> so I'm like I try to use the terms that like it's kind of Beckett has this line from、um, Endgame. I use the language you taught me, and that's how I feel because like. When people are like, why are you talking like that? I use the language you taught me, and this is like this is the oppressor's language. I'm going to use it. So, I feel oppressed by a lot of sciences that that want to codify, and so Navlish is a codification of how Navajos do with language, and、um, just the same way Black Black English is that kind of thing, or African American vernacular English. And so, translanguaging for me is. Really reflects that there are no boundaries between language and speakers like me that are multilingual are using all of the structures and all of the vocabularies at one time, and it's not code switching. It's not, and I I will be I will like throw down with you about that. Like with the anti, I'm like I'm what we dancing. I'm like no, we're fighting now. So with the with the code switching, we fighting. So like you know, sometimes fighting can be a dance, but. But now we fight it, yeah. So that is a big divide, and that's because I think people think of languages in terms of the national distinctions and also hard and fast rules, which is my grammar of colonialism. Like you can't say that. Why、wow, I just said it is you're not. What is the world that you're not allowing for my grammar to be okay? And you're saying it's an error instead of a choice of the speaker. So that is what I'm serious about. All right. Period. Yeah. yeah uh huh. <laughs> Drop the mic. Boom. Sorry. I know there's expensive ones, but. Your latest book project, "The Web of Different Versions: Where Africa Ends and America Begins," what were your goals in this project? Oh, my goals was to finish it, <laughs> not start <laughs> over. So I've been working on this a long time. I say sometimes to people when I that Leslie Marmasoko's work, Leslie Marmasoko's world, that's where I exist, and.、Um, And because I don't exist in a lot of worlds, I have, I, I fail to achieve subject status in many worlds, and、um, so this is a world where I exist, and I'm not other, and that's such, that's why I think that's such a foundational thing for me, because I have been made other by my own relations, and that's so painful. I mean, all of us know that. I would say all of us know. I think I, I'm going to be bold. All of us know that being the object of ridicule and hate is profoundly fatiguing, and and. To experience that from somebody that you know hates you is one thing, but to experience that from somebody you know hates you, who may even love you too, or may be somebody who gave you birth,、um, 
that's a whole nother kind of fatigue. And so for me to be able to exist fully without, I don't like explaining myself either. So to be able to exist fully without explaining myself, not as an other is profound. So Leslie's Almanac of the Dead became even though it's a, a really difficult book that I tell people, don't, it's, don't read this book for your happy space. <laughs> it's not going to be happy. Um, it deals with all the nastiness. I think if you need to understand the Americas, you should read Almanac of the Dead. The primary question of that book is who has spiritual possession of the Americas? And um, there's a sentence in that book that says, for outsiders, it's difficult to know where Africa ends and America begins. And when I say I exist in that book, I'm like, yes, these, these were the sentences that describe my world. One, who has spiritual possession of the Americas because I come from deeply faithful communities that also were in tremendous... Um, I always tell the story. I'm going to tell a brief, brief moment. I was always with my grandmother unless she was at work, and even sometimes they let me go to her work with her. That's how spoiled I am and how loved she was. But my grandmother had the keys to the church, and so I would go with. we would go to the church and prepare the back and the sacristy. So we went back where the priests were and were preparing the hosts and everything for the Mass. My grandmother was that devout and was that respected in the church. And then my grandfather was like, we don't need no white guy. So I was like, this is my, so really devout, and these are our songs, and this is how you believe, and, you know, telling me stories about the insect people, and these are our relations and everything. So I come from extremely devout people and with really strong religious practices and the multi-faith, so practicing all of them fully. So to have that question, who has spiritual possession of the Americas, it made sense to me. And we tend to talk about religion because we cannot handle the blended aspect of gods and ancestors in our lives and our daily practice. So when I found that that was the central question of that book, I was like, oh, yeah. And then I don't know where Africa ends and America begins. I don't know where Africa ends. Obviously, you know that. I don't know where Africa ends and America begins. I cannot tell you. And um, I've come up with another term for this book. The coda is called Land Sea. It's this idea of where does the land end and the sea begins because that's some of the things we have too when we talk about, to think of, to use Michelle Wright's language, the middle passage epistemology and right, the idea that blackness is this moment from middle passage as opposed to the land sea. And, you know, we have Olokun, yes, we know that, but also we are of the land as well. Black people are of the land, not just of the sea and not just of an absence of land or not just of a removal of land. And Indians are not the of the land. They are also of the sea. And we are also of that and of the sky. And some of us came from the sky. So all of that. So this book for me, I, it was where I lived. And what had happened, there's a line in the book is that one of the characters says, once I transcribe these almanacs, I will figure out how to use them. I had this moment reading almanac after reading that line, once I transcribe these almanac, these almanacs notebooks, I'll figure out how to use it. I'm like, I have figured out how to use it because I live my life through this book. I teach this book all the time. People that read this book go, how do you teach that book read? I'm like, because I know how to use it and because I know how to make the story speak. And that's my skill. Here is, here's this story. Here's what it does. And so for me, that's what the book, and that the truth is the web of differing versions. 
I tell people in scholarship that I don't do comparison and I don't do periodization, right? Especially with Black Indian folks who want periods. <laughs> like, I use punctuation periods. I don't use temporal periods. And uh, people are like, how is that scholarship? Well, the web of differing versions allows a scholarship and then allows us to have all of the differing versions because they all tell us something and one is not right and one is not wrong. Um, do we have the capacity to allow the structure of differing versions? So that is is about the book. And what I was trying to do, I think, is show people how to use it and write something that was not comparative, something that didn't have periods, and something that doesn't know where Africa ends and America begins and has no argument. <laughs> so this is my crazy fool self. And I'm really happy with it. And I kind of gave myself over for it to be, I started it over so many times thinking about what the reviewers would say. And when I got to the point where I said, I'm just writing it, and if everybody hates it, I'm okay with that, um, which is how I am with my quote fiction. And, and then now it's, I love it. It's still beautiful to me. Maria Dese Carey is also one of my, she's in my dance community, but she's also a writer and she has this line, black people do more than die. Yes. And so this is, I already know this world and I wanted to be able to write something that was it and not describing it or analyzing it, but just was it. So that's what I'm trying to do with that book. Well, congratulations on on wrapping it up, on <laughs> finishing it. Yeah. Um, you described the project um, as challenging the limits created by grammar of colonialism. What is grammar of colonialism? So Leslie Marmon Soko says that all we have are the stories. And so, but as long as we retain the stories, we have everything. So the grammar of colonialism, as I've described it, I wrote about this when I wrote about Black Horse Mitchell's work, who is a writer that I work with, who's an amazing writer that um, is working on his second book. And uh, so he's also another writer that people don't know about, um, but he's in the, the Diné Reader that was just won the prize. But um, once we, so if we have the stories, we have everything. But once you start saying who can tell the stories, so like when Soko says she wrote Almanac of the Dead, she, was, she talks about Zora's work. And she says, I was mounted by the gods, and this is what they said, the gods of Udun, the Loa. The Loa mounted me, and this is what came out. And then people say, oh, you're crazy if you talk like that. And so once you start saying who can tell, so for my work, the gods and ancestors figure they're everything all the time. They're my morning. They're my night. They're every minute in between. And if I make it to the next morning, they're my morning again. And so if the gods and ancestors cannot participate in the narration, then we've lost some of the stories. So that's one thing. Who can tell the stories with the grammar of colonialism? The other thing is the structure. And so, like I said, I don't have an argument. I'm not doing comparisons and I'm using periods punctuation. I really believe in punctuating with as you're running naked, feels the joy. So like that kind of punctuation. I just put, my writing partner, Kathy, is like, the way, you, the place you where you put periods. And she's like, I'm not going to tell you anything because I know you. that's where you want it. And so the grammar of colonialism also tells you the structure. And what, to me, part of slavery colonization, Black Indian, and writing translation is a single structure. And whether that structure is subject, verb, and 
things like agreement, right? Some people from agreement, things like tense. Like people tell me, you can't be changing the tense, you know, all the time in the middle of a sentence. Like don't change horses in the middle of the stream. Like don't be quoting Tower Power on me trying to tell me how to write, right? This is what we are. I did change horses in the middle of the stream. That's why they wrote a song about it, right? It told me not to do it anymore because it's possible, right? And you start limiting the possibility space, both of the ability to tell the story but also the possibility space of this is like where we get into the P-Funk of creating and imagining all we need and all we do. That's what who we are. We're creators and as to me as communities. And so once you say you can't do that and you get into that like cognitive fixity and say that's for that, that's what that's for, you can't use it for that. I'm like, I could use it for what I want to use it for. Look, it works. And so the grammar of colonialism tells you the rules. It's prescriptive. And that's about controlling power, because once we control our structures, we control our relations. And Dr. John, who's a faculty here, talks about colonialism as a series of separations between each other. I think of colonialism as a severing of relations, like severing black from Indian, severing writing from translation, severing slavery from colonization, severing me from you, right? And so... That grammar of colonialism does that. Who can speak, how they can speak, the structures available, and the possibility space. I'm really big on possibility space. Bihonitsa um, means it is possible in Navajo, and it's one of my favorite words. This is a good point to uh, ask you this question. What are some projects that you're excited about but folks might not be able to find if they were to look you up online? So, um, there's one, I'm so, I said I had a breakthrough over the last summer. One is because I started writing these slavery broadcasts. So that is that, let's put a pin in that. But the other thing is one of my, I call him my corazón, which in Spanish means my heart. Um, Pato Hebert is an amazing artist. And so look him up. He's easy to find. He is easy to find. And um, if you look up Bato Hebert and you look at one of the, the projects called Lingering, and you click on that, he's put the whole book up. It's his artist monograph. And I have a piece in the center of that, which is really hard to find. It's um, called I Feel Like Making Love from Roberta Flack's song. And um, so that piece is hard to find. Um, and I love it. And also you get to see Pato's work. And it was a, a breakthrough for me because I, I actually was able to read it. And Alexander Juhas, who's one of Bato's collaborators, who's also an amazing media studies person, came up to me and said, are you writing all your stuff like that? Like, I want to I like do a crazy check on you, <laughs> right? And I said, kind of, because I've been doing these slavery broadcasts like that. And she said, good, do it. And so that was really empowering for me. And I want to thank Alex, if you ever hear this. <laughs> thank you for that moment. So that's hard to find, but it's there. Another piece is coming out, and it shouldn't be hard to find, but I think it might be hard to find right now. It's out of NP Press, and it's a book called Say, Listen, Writing is Care. And um, it's a collaborative project, and we're called the Black Indigenous 100s Collective, and we've been working together since 2019. And that's actually going to come out in a new press. We're going to be their inaugural book called NP, which if you know when, when things say NP, it means it don't have no press, right? It's lacking a press. And so that's the name of the press because it's all of these works that may not get published because they're lacking a certain citational practice or they're lacking a an anything. I mean, we're, we're not being linear in that book. We have so many languages we don't translate because Dr. John and I are like, well, I'm not translating. 
you know, I have a translation policy in my class that you translate honestly and graciously, but that's not my life translation policy. For my writing, I'm like, I'm not translating. For me, I tend to write because I care about my people that are reading. I tend to write something after what I've written so that you understand. So you can just, this is some, this goes back to my writing process and my practice so that you can read and write in languages you don't understand. I think that's a fundamental skill everybody has to have is I'm talking a language I don't understand. I'm listening to a language I don't understand. I'm reading a language I don't understand. And I'm not saying, what are you saying? You're other than me. Could you translate that? I'm just listening. Just like when you dance, I dance to music and I'm like, I give myself over to it. So that's the same thing that happens in my writing. I try to do that. Read, it has been such a pleasure to uh, sit with you uh, today. Thank you for being so generous and sharing about your work. Um, You've given us uh, and and those listeners a lot to think about. And so thank you so much. Incredible conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining the conversation on Race Remix today. The podcast is the creation of Racial Justice Studio in Tucson, Arizona, land of the Tohono Otham and Pasqua Yaki. This episode would not have been possible without the efforts of our team of students, staff, and faculty fellows, Chelsea Farrar, Amy Cray, myself, Gloria Wilson, Isaac Schutz, Deanna Scott, and Jenny Stern. This program is brought to you by the Arizona Arts at the University of Arizona with generous support from John and Sandy Flint. If you enjoyed this episode, please invite your friends, family, students, and colleagues to listen. Interested in joining our community or listening to more episodes? Please visit raceremix.arts.arizona.edu and sign up to receive emails about upcoming news and events. You can also learn more about all of our guests in the show notes. Race Remix.